Yeah, let's begin to move into the kind of topic of uh, today's discussion, which is uh, these CRISPR babies that recently generated. CRISPR babies, designer babies. babies. Um, and so this touches on your interest uh, in, uh, in genomics. It does. And so um, let's get a little background about this. Um, let's talk a little about CRISPR first. And I have to say, first of all, this, these babies aren't in some sense a surprise. We've been talking quite a lot about when this was going to happen. Absolutely. We've you been know, anticipating it for several years. There's a theory, which is, you know, in technology, anything that's possible eventually happen. And yep. so you can't be surprised by yep. this. But, but give a little background about um, what you know about this particular case and what happened. So Many the, people are familiar with gene editing to some yeah. degree. So recently, I'd say, what, five years ago, big breakthrough in gene editing technology, something called CRISPR. I think you actually deserve credit for making Michigan State institutionally aware of CRISPR, running some big meetings on it, helping set up a gene editing lab here. So uh, you, you probably actually, in a sense, know more about CRISPR than I do. But um, you could just say we now have the ability to very selectively edit a genome with relatively low, whether it's exactly zero or not, low off-target mistaken edit rate. And so there are now many possible applications. One of the applications is uh, if you're going through in vitro fertilization, you have an embryo, you might edit the genome of that embryo. And you could edit, it, edit the genome in a way um, making a change that isn't present in the mother or the father. So a de novo change in the child that makes it inevitably very different, uh, genetically very different from the parents. And so what was done in this first experiment was they actually because many ed embryos had been edited before and testing had been done to see how effective the edit was. This is the first time the, edit, the embryo was implanted and actually became, in this case, twin baby girls. Um, and so this has caused enormous controversy. Yes. Uh, it was announced at a meeting uh, on gene em genome editing in Taiwan. Yep. It's uh, interesting. Hong Kong. Hong, Hong Kong. Kong. Hong Kong. And it's interesting because I guess there were, I saw an article in MIT Technology Review that seems like there were sort of signals early on this might be happening. The, the reporter at MIT Technology Review, who, whom I actually know, he broke the story through some actual gumshoe reporting. He was, he was kind of aware stuff like this was going on, and he found the record, online record, of the experiment at this hospital website. So he broke, he actually broke the story. Right. So um, give us a little background. What was edited? And uh, what was the researcher trying to accomplish? Right. So this researcher is a very interesting guy. His background's actually in physics. And he um, did his postdoc at a very famous lab at Stanford, who's run by another physics guy who went into genomics and molecular biology. Um, so he's a, little bit, he's a little bit of an outsider to the mainstream genomics world. He's actually more kind of a bioengineer kind of physics. He has that kind of physicist view of things that like, oh, Great thing, let's do it. So this guy, uh, who's a professor at a university in China, um, he uh, ran this experiment where he recruited couples to be part of the experiment. They gave them free IVF. And um, his goal, I think, all along was to produce a, the first gene-edited baby. Um, and the edit that he made was an edit to a particular gene, CCR5, that actually, if it's done correctly, and it's not clear it was actually done correctly in these two, that it would actually work properly in these two girls, uh, gives you uh, resistance for, against HIV. And there's actually about, I think, uh, I think that percentage might be 10% in Europe. There's some, like that, yeah, some percentage right. of the European population actually has this mutation and is very resistant to HIV. The father of this girl, of the girls, 
is a is HIV positive and was very, I guess, according to the what was said, extremely traumatized by becoming HIV positive. And so he had a very strong desire that his daughters would be HIV resistant. Now, um, a lot of what's reported in the press uh, doesn't take into account all the information that we know because this guy, the, the, the researcher's named He, he gave a talk at this meeting in Hong Kong and he went over uh, what had, his description of the experiment and what had been done. And a lot of the facts that, now again, he might have been lying, but uh, if he was telling the truth about what he did, um, those are important facts which are seldom reported by the press. Okay. Sure. So one of the things he said was both parents are highly educated and they, by the time, this, this process takes time because you have to go through the IVF process and collect the embryos and then do the editing and then sequence the embryos to make sure the off-targets aren't there and then communicate with the parents. So there's a lot of uh, time over which he was communicating with these parents and so he claimed that they had a good understanding of the science and the technology behind all this. And what he told them at this point when the embryos had been edited was, we found what might be an off-target in one of the embryos. Um, but when you're sequencing an embryo, you're only taking, I think in his case, they just took one cell off the embryo. And so it's a kind of noisy method of, of so sequencing. How many cells are there? 50 to 100, time? typically. Okay. And so um, they take as few as possible because you don't want to damage the embryo. So they took one cell off and they, they sequenced. And he said, he said to the parents, um, we found some evidence of an off-target. We're not sure it could be an error in just the sequencing. Uh, we won't know till the kid is actually born whether that is really an off-target mutation. And he said that the parents were offered the choice of using to complete the IVF cycle either the edited pair or some other unedited embryos. There were unedited embryos that came from this mother and father um, and they had the option of using those. So at that moment, it was parental choice to implant. And the editing of embryos is not controversial, generally. So sci that scientifically has been done many places around the world. So the key decision here was actually made by the parents, not by the researcher. If the parents had just said, okay, let's stop, uh, let's just use the unedited embryos to finish the pregnancy. Um, no, you would have never heard about this. This would just be one of dozens of, you know, kind of, well, okay, they're testing the CRISPR technology, it works. Um, we checked the embryo. So they, the parents went ahead and had the kid, and, and it turns out the off-target isn't really there. It was actually an artifact of the, of the sequencing. Um, and so um, that aspect of it I have not seen reported anywhere, so it kind of changes the tenor of the whole thing. Now, I think it's been really interesting to watch the response to this because there's been an uproar in the scientific community, yep. and uh, the research has been denounced as having done something unethical. And like, I think there are an enormous number of complexities here, but I have to say I think the scientific position uh, may not be tenable, actually. The idea that you should be allowed to edit an embryo, but somehow moral to implant the embryo. Yeah. As if this embryo somehow needs to be obligatorily destroyed. If you're a Catholic, I mean, what's totally legal in most of the, I think all of the United States, to go and abort something that looks like a, actually looks like a baby. It's not a bundle, soccer ball of 50 cells, but a baby, or what people think, you know, some people would call a baby, you're allowed to abort that. How can there be moral equivalency between the question of, oh, I want to make one tiny change to the genome of this embryo or, or implant or not implant this embryo? Those decisions seem very minor to me compared to decisions made every day by, you know, potential mothers about abortion, right? So, um, so I think people are not, people are just doing what they're kind of, so the thing they're accustomed to, they don't question. The new thing, they question a lot.
uh, in this context. I think it's very common. One interesting issue is going to be how this will evolve as this practice probably becomes more common and whether yeah. people's attitudes will change. Yeah. There's a Pew survey actually a couple of years ago about attitudes towards gene editing. It turns out the U.S. public is more or less split right down the middle yep. um, as to whether they would uh, support editing to uh, bring about exactly what they did in this case, which is disease resistance. Yep. Um, people more religious were more opposed, but yep. people knew more about CRISPR were more supportive. Right. But it seems like it's an issue that... At the very same conference in Hong Kong, the dean of Harvard Medical School, who's himself, I think, a stem cell or anyway, some kind of molecular biology researcher, um, he gave a talk. And he was on a panel in 2015 that set forth a bunch of guidelines for when CRISPR could be used in a clinical setting. And 2015 was far enough away that they could be rational from, as opposed to what people are doing now, talking about what happened. So he gave his talk and he, he actually just said, well, these are the things that we thought in 2015 would have to be in place before we could do it. And frankly, we're pretty close. You know, we, we're pretty sure that it works well. We're pretty, it's effective. It's safe. Um, we can carefully monitor what's going on. We can, we can make sure the, the, the parents understand and give con you know, informed consent. So he actually said something which was quite um, supportive, not of this particular researcher, huh, who everybody says is a villain now, but, but, um, but of the general trend, he was quite supportive. And then it was announced, I think it was revealed like, uh, that Harvard is all, some Harvard researchers are doing like CRISPR on sperm right now. So um, it's going to happen. There's no question it's going to happen. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, a lot of our kind of casual conversations are where, you know, again, the cat's out of the bag. Yeah. People are going to do this. We're thinking, is it going to be Russia? Is it going to be China? Right. Right, um, and those seem to be the two leading cases. Right, and, uh, it looks like it's. It's funny because the Chinese scientists, who are all sort of cowardly conformists, um, they were the most vociferous in denouncing Ho when this happened, and the most supportive guys were the dean of Harvard Medical School and George Church, who's also at Harvard Medical School. Right, yeah, George Church came in for yeah, George, criticism over this. Yeah, thing. so it's kind of funny, and the most amusing thing is if you go on YouTube. And you watch the video of, this guy had a video all set up of just an interview of him in his own lab talking about what had been done that he, he himself put on YouTube like when the story broke. And you read, there, like, there must be like 5,000 comments on YouTube under this video. And every comment from a Chinese person is, is, all, is sort of like, I am a life scientist and He has disgraced, the, has shamed the Chinese people and, and he should never have done this because, uh, well, uh, international people don't like it. And um, so it was is completely... Is the last part key to that comment? Yeah, it is. It like is. It. It's all about like, uh, oh, well, if, if uh, the international community thinks this is bad, this is, you know, anyway. But then there are all the other... This is a YouTube, right? So then there are thousands of comments by people, mostly Americans and Europeans, saying, hey, it's awesome, man. Technology is going to happen. You know, what are you coming down on this guy so hard? You know, so it, it's kind of amazing the dichotomy of those comments. Of course. Yeah. But... In the U.S. press, of course, the Chinese are—they don't have morals like we do, and they're all for—they're uh, going to edit all their babies, and you know. But it's people it's, should just look at this Pew survey yeah. of Americans, yeah. right? Where yeah. essentially half yeah. of them said yeah. that they thought that this was uh, was acceptable. It's, yep. um, so interesting. This in the same survey, um, people were very resistant to things like uh, editing to increase intelligence, um, and we're going to get in this too because this is actually something I think that you've written about and that you are supportive of. Right. Um, well, wait, wait, I, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> Let's be careful about okay. that. Okay, we'll be careful right. about that. Okay. But so, what's interesting <laughs> is this gene in particular, right? Yes. Is, has other effects. Yes. And this gene looks like it's also involved in contextual memory, at least in mice. Yes. 
And when you, uh, even heterozygotes, where one copy of the gene is disabled and one is, uh, is normal, those mice look like they have better memories uh, than regular mice do. Yep. And the question is, how will this work out in these children? It's quite yep. possible that these edits may uh, give some cognitive enhancement yep. in these children. Yep. you have any thoughts about that? Well, so I'm pretty sure the parents didn't do it for cognitive enhancement. I think this story about the, the father being really traumatized about by accident to becoming HIV positive and wanting his kids to be resistant. It probably is, it has the ring of truth to me and it didn't seem like the parents were trying to enhance, this is a weird way to enhance the intelligence of your kids because sure. the effect is not that big. Um, but whether we'll see people making active edits to accomplish goals which are not related to disease, um, yeah, we might eventually see that. I think the biggest barrier which people do not understand, so, so people are very focused on CRISPR, the technology, how well can we edit? Are there off-target edits made? The thing people don't understand is that the more informatical problem of actually figuring out what pieces of the genome are affecting which traits and in what way, that's a huge machine learning AI problem. That's, that's what I work on. And that is not a solved problem. So we, we don't actually, if, if you gave me today a, a super CRISPR, you know, a vector that could edit 1,000 places in the genome instantaneously with no error, okay? Uh, we wouldn't know how to use it because we actually do not know uh, the specific edits that we want to make. And so, so people misunderstand what is the gap, the, the, the barrier that needs to be crossed before all the nightmare scenarios of, you know, blonde six foot five super genius uh, decathletes uh, babies um, can be produced. We, we, we haven't solved the problem yet, actually. Well, I mean, I, I want to say that I, I think part of the story is that this is new technology. Yeah. But let's be honest, people are already in the process of trying to produce blonde, six-foot-tall <laughs> babies by simply having Scandinavians be perhaps the largest sperm donors sure, in the right, world. Right. And the, this point in my argument, right. which is that people get all upset about CRISPR, people yeah. are already making choice about their genome. Yeah. They're already seeking out particular kinds of mates. This is only advancing technology. This is only using a very different technology. But yeah. the fact is... These kind of decisions are being made by absolutely by most women all the time. Yeah, or, or and men and men actually, if they're looking for a, a, you know some an egg donor, um, egg donation in the U.S. Uh, is somewhat I don't know if it's regulated, but uh, statistics are gathered. And so, for example, there's a famous plot that was I think I put it on my blog a few years ago, but it was gathered the data was gathered by researchers on the horizontal ac axis is the SAT score of the egg donor, and then the vertical axis is the price paid by the parents. For the egg, and it's 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 like this. So, um, yes, people are already doing this kind of thing. I'm wondering, uh, but height is actually a similar function. Height, uh, yeah. And if you look at the ads, like for if you if you go to like the the Crimson or the Yale Daily Hair, whatever it is, the ad will usually say like, "We want a smart Yale student who's also an athlete, you know, to donate eggs, and we'll pay. We'll you know we'll pay." There's a famous case, so, I think maybe 10 or 15 years ago, of a young woman who was, I mean, I think a six foot tall athlete and her eggs, she's selling her eggs for like $50,000. There you go. Yeah. Um, so just to say, I think, you know. The free market, man. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, I think <laughs> these things don't get, people get, have gotten used to it, right? So they don't say anything about it. Yeah. But, but I, I personally don't see any principal difference between people making these kind of choices. I, well, it's a matter of degree. Principled, of I agree. I totally agree with you. I know some of the people who were the early pioneers in IVF, IVF itself, which is now 30 plus, 40 years old, I think. Um, the, you can go back and read what were the reactions. What did the New York Times say? What did bioethicists say when the first test tube? I remember this being on TV. I was like eating dinner. You know, Dan Rather was on TV. Seventy-eight. Yeah, yeah with we my were parents. 12. Yeah, I was a little kid, and it's like. 
yeah, test two babies. And um, so I remember how freaked out people were then. Now you might be surprised that a million test two babies are born each year. In many European countries, 5% of all births are through IVF. In Denmark, it's 10%. In Japan, wow. it's 5%. And it, it's just a consequence of women having more professional, more career options and um, you know, tending to have the kids sure. later. And then there's maybe a fertility issue, and so they go through IVF. But what was reviled and thought to be a milestone in you know, the evil, pro yeah, evil progress of science, yes. cold technology, now has become a way to produce 5% you know, or 10% of all babies in France or in Denmark. So, It's interesting, in my state, Massachusetts, I think right around the uh, turn of this millennium, became the first state where more women over 30 had children than women under it's 30. It's exactly it. And that's clearly kind of driving this. Uh, I think all young women should be told that fertility decline in women happens between the ages of 30 and 40 for almost everybody. And if you're lucky, it's in your late 30s. And if you're unlucky, it's in your early 30s. And so there are many women who, wow, you, you look still pretty young or you're look, and you're looking for a husband and you've got a great career going. You know, you're a lawyer. You've already had fertility decline. You just don't know it. Right. So. Yeah, I think we all had friends where it exactly. become a, an issue. Yep. Um, but you're involved in a startup, actually. That's I'm involved in I'm a founder of a startup that does advanced genetic testing of embryos. Got it. And how does that work? Well, um, it's very similar to the, 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 the He Mengele story. Uh, just kidding. Um, so it's standard practice now to let the embryo grow to 50 or 100 cells, and then you can take a few cells off for genotyping, and then they freeze it. They actually freeze it in liquid nitrogen, and the freezing, doesn't seem, freezing and thawing doesn't seem to harm the embryo. And so there are a lot of women who are actually advised, if they're high-powered career women, to freeze embryos so that they can use them later. Um, that little sample that's taken off now, um, the DNA from those few cells can be amplified, and we can get a full, relatively inexpensively, we can get a full kind of 23andMe level genotype for each of the embryos. And then you can predict certain things like disease risk. So you can, you can, you can detect mutations that are dangerous, and you can also predict polygenic disease risk. So for example, um, the probability that someone gets breast cancer or the probability that someone uh, has heart disease is actually controlled by many genes, but we were, the machine learning is getting good enough that we can, from this measurement of the genome, actually make meaningful predictions about whether a particular embryo is going to be an outlier for a particular health risk. And so if you have multiple embryos and you're only going to use maybe one or two of these multiple embryos, you can now make a more informed decision than you could just a year or two ago. And it's, it's known that taking these cells off of the embryo has no negative health effects? So it's f no detectable ones yet. So, um, so far there have been no statistically significant um, results shown about the viability of the embryo post biopsy. Um, it could turn out there's some slight effect uh, from the biopsy, but uh, so far it's not been detected. And there's no negative effects to the freezing long term? Actually, the freezing thing is uh, actually positive possibly for reasons that uh, embryos that are, they look okay, but uh, there's some problem with the way that they're developing. Those when they thaw out are not viable, and the ones that thaw are able to go through the thawing process are viable, and so the actual success rates of frozen thawed embryos is actually significantly That's higher than, yeah, than just fresh. Uh, so it's transfer. like almost like an evolutionary test of it fitness. It is, it is exactly what it is. It's a filter for fitness. Uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't actually, da I mean, it doesn't actually impact um, most of the embryos at all, so. 
And so where do you see the story going? I mean, we've read this far. These babies are now born. Yeah, these, and there's, there's another pregnant woman, too, I'm pretty okay. sure. So, um, yeah. What's your expectation for the next uh, year or two? Well, I think the bigger story is actually selection, not editing, for the reason that I stated, which is that we don't really, even if I gave you a super crisper, we don't know what to, at this moment in our scientific knowledge, we don't know exactly what edits we would make. The predictors rely on correlations. If you're going to edit stuff, you have to know about causation. And so you can know ahead of time that, okay, this distribution of genes in this child, in this embryo, um, predisposes it to, it has a higher probability of having breast cancer. Um, but you don't know how to change the genome necessarily to, to make it resistant to breast cancer. Um, so that science, I think, is going to take at least another five or ten years, if, if not more, to develop before we can go hog wild, if you wanted to, go hog wild on editing. Because you need to know what to edit. However, the, 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 the strength of these predictors is increasing very rapidly because machine learning just needs data. And there's, there's more and more data. And so um, the number of traits that we can predict from genome alone uh, is going up and up and up. And um, we don't really even need to fully predict the trait. We just need to figure out who's an outlier. So if I'm just trying to warn you about, hey, embryo 4 may have much worse health, uh, much you know, de decreased longe expected longevity than the other ones. Maybe you should use one of the other ones. That kind of dis uh, differentiation is already possible, and it will just get better and better. So how much does this process, co process cost now via your startup? Uh, I think the price, so I, I'm not uh, involved in the day-to-day -day of the startup. I'm one of the founders, but, um, and I'm on the board of directors, but I'm not really directly involved. So I might say something that's wrong, but I think the pricing is $400 an embryo for the advanced testing. It's very, oh. it's very affordable. How's that compared to the price of the uh, IVF? The I think an IVF cycle, it really depends on where you do it. Like if you do it in Korea or Taiwan, it's actually pretty inexpensive. It could be like a few thousand dollars for an IVF cycle, I think. But in the U.S., maybe it's more like ten, five, ten thousand dollars $10,000. But it's a, it's a, it's a perturbation. To, it's, sure. a, it's a small correction to the overall cost. Um, That'd be fabulous. Okay, so let's, let's, let's just cut it there. And uh, until the next time. Fabulous. All right.